Hi, I'm Jeff Rogers. And who the fuck are you? I like that one. Very good fellas. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Settle in as we begin to tell you about some friends. Folks you know in Chicago and some you've never met. We'll talk about the things they say and do. There's a question posed to old and new. Who the fuck are you? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Kevin Alvis, and welcome back to another episode of Who the Fuck Are You? Man, oh man, summer is here, and then it goes away, and then it's back, and then it goes away. I'm fucking over it. Just be warm already so I can get outside with my maskless face and get rid of some of these tan lines. Oh, who am I kidding? I never tan. Today we're chatting with a dear friend about his start in the improv world right here in Chicago, his new book coming out called The Playmaker Mindset, and what it's like revitalizing Chicago's oldest improv school. Please welcome to the show my dear friend, Mr. Jeff Rogers. Well, Jeff Rogers, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Well, hello there, Kevin. How's it going, man? I'm good. Are we doing our low radio voices? This is this is welcome. Welcome to the podcast voice. Sounds like it's the late hour. We're doing from we'll be here all night. Coming back to you talking about sensual songs and songs of sensuality. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how you been, my man? Uh, I have been uh, well. I've been well. Great. Been uh, been overall. I've made it this far, by God. By God. I was actually thinking about it a little bit ago, and I realized that the last time I saw you was like two weeks before the lockdown because we had that gig together in Boston when when COVID really started blowing up. And I remember you were sick as a dog, and we were like, oh, shit. Later on, of course, yeah. we're like, I think that dude had COVID. But I remember uh, Mandy Walsh, she was working with us that time. We were flying home, and we were looking everything on the news on our phone, and we both were like, that's eh, not going to be that bad. I'm sure it'll, I'm sure this will blow over. Yeah, yeah. And, no, uh, Two weeks later. Two weeks later, the world shut down. Uh, it was, uh, and I think I did have it, actually. I, I came to the conclusion that I probably did, because I got home from that gig. And I was laid out for a good two weeks. I'm sure, because you looked, you were beat up at that job. And we'll talk about it in a little bit about what that yeah. job was and how that works and how you fucking <laughs> powered through that like a fucking maniac. Um, but yeah, you were, I mean, because you, you, I, every day we saw you, I felt like you were like adding a symptom from COVID. It was <laughs> <laughs> like, how you doing today? Oh, I'm just kind of beat up. And then next day, how you doing there? This sore throat and this cough. And then you, the last day you were like, I've been up all night with fevers and chills. I haven't slept at all. I don't know what the fuck is going on. What's your name again? And I was like, Jesus. Yep, that was pretty much it. Yep, that was, yep, yep, that yep. was the beginning of my COVID. So a lot has happened in a year. <laughs> a, lo a lot has happened, yeah. Uh, I've been usually starting off these interviews after COVID about uh, trying to find more like less of like, so what have you been doing this year and moving yeah. into like specifics. Uh, lately, it's been like, what have you been binging and things like that as far as TV and stuff goes. But during this year, I'm sure you ordered out like I did a whole bunch because fuck it. Was there any new good restaurants that you found out there that you were supporting that were just like, you were like, fuck, how did I not know about you? Or like, oh, I'm so glad you opened up in my neighborhood. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything offhand, but we did everything. I mean, we, we, we did try and spread it around to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I live uh, up north in Edison Park and there's a lot of incredible restaurants up here. We, we're kind of spoiled. Um, and it runs the gamut, gamut from, you know, I'm trying to think of all the names, uh, Zia's, Elliot's, um, there's, there's a Moretti's, of course, there's the Cura, there's um, a tapas place uh, that opened that's uh, pretty amazing. And, and so it just, we, we tried to really spread it around as much as we could just so that Absolutely. You know, we could do what we could. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the first time and we could eat, Kevin. That's what we could do. That was how we saved America. I was about to say that is the first time ever in my life someone's been like, please order out, spend your money, eat all the food. It's actually going to be beneficial. I'm like, oh, yeah. so this this third triple cheeseburger I've ordered this week is a good thing. And it's like, yes, you keep doing it. I'm like, okay, this plays into all of my strengths. Oh, I am a superhero. Um, is there moving uh, back into that to the land of getting to know Jeff in Chicago is there a favorite place that you like to go eat in Chicago like if you were like if you were to leave Chicago for like 5 years and come back and you're like this is the one place oh. i need to go eat boy that's pretty tough it, I, you know for me that that goes into uh the time of day and the meal right mm. if it's if it's in the morning uh, right. Lou Mitchell's okay uh, i've been going to Lou Mitchell's since i was a kid my dad would bring me there um it's uh, it's not owned by Lou's family anymore, but it's still great diner food that's oh. uh, uh, relatively famous for being just down the street from Union Station. So when, you know, back in the 30s, 20s, 30s, and 40s, when they, when you would take a train from one coast to the other, you'd mm -hmm. stop in Chicago, and people would run off the train, go eat at Lou's, and then go back and catch their train oh, wow. on yeah. to the West Coast. And, I, I, you know, we're talking about celebrities and, and, you know, major political figures and stuff like that. People would get off the train. That's crazy. Right. But I mean, these guys, the coffee is special. The orange juice is fresh squeezed. The, mm. um, they make little donut hole, you know, little uh, munchkins that they give out in the line that you you got free milk, duds, little tiny box of milk duds when you're a kid waiting in what? line and everything. How have I not heard of this place? I've lived here for twelve years. Oh, you got to go over there. I'm right. Jackson. Yeah, it's it's a great uh, it's a great place. And then for lunch, Gene and Jude's uh, hot dogs. This mm. is this is deep cuts right now. This is deep I, again. Deep, deep never cuts. heard of them, but I where's where's the best hot dogs close? So where do yeah. I get a good dog? You know. Yeah, uh, that definitely um, Gene and Jude's. There's a line out the door at all times. They serve a, a snapper dog, where the skin is so tight it snaps when you bite mm -hmm. into it. For dinner. Ah, that's, that's almost too difficult to question. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I, I really like my neighborhood steak place, uh, Chop House. Uh, mm. It's called Elliot's. Okay. And uh, I, I'll give them a big shout out because they make a great steak. They have a homemade uh, pesto salad dressing. It's phenomenal. The drinks are heavy pours. I mean, it's exact, it's everything. And you want a steak place to be. And what was that address again? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> on Northwest Highway. Elliot's. Great. Okay. Cause yeah. I love a good steakhouse. You give me a big fat, like you said, big fat steak and a heavy pour. And that's a, a great a, night. It's a good night. Yeah. It's really good. There is. Oh, I cannot. Now I'm just hungry. I know. I just, I'm kicking myself. I didn't eat before this <laughs> interview. I'm like, why did I start with this question? Jeff, so you grew up here in Chicago. Did you grow up here uh, in, in the city proper or were you in the suburbs? Uh, I was in, in the, the uh, Suburbs, I grew up in Mount Prospect, but okay. uh, I moved to the city when I was uh, 19. Have you always lived in this area or were you the type that went away, saw what the world was like and decided to come back? Or were you always just a uh, like a hometown kind of guy? 
Yeah, I um, I had the opportunity to tour all over the country with uh, Second City. So I actually got to see a vast uh, majority of the country. I pretty Without having sure, all that pesky moving. That's kind of yeah, great. exactly. <laughs> I got to visit everywhere, um, and I spent some time out in L.A. But uh, yeah, Chicago just was in my blood, and uh, I knew I was going to be a Chicago boy early on. I mainly know you as an improver, but was there ever a time that you start off in the world of like theater as wanting to be a serious actor or did you go straight in for like, I want to, I want to go into the, the improv comedy world. So I, I never perceived it as that much different. I, I started in stand-up comedy. Oh, okay. And so when I was 19 years old, I was doing stand-up comedy in bars and uh, I had a fake ID to get in so I could do stand-up comedy. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so um, it's actually, it's funny, Amy Sedaris was doing um, improv, uh, was improvising with Paul Danello, who's the executive producer uh, over on the Colbert show, mm -hmm. and uh, another guy, Lou Saliba, and they, they were in a touring company together. This is back in like 89, 88 or 89, somewhere in there. And um, so she was doing, they were doing improv at a stand-up club at an open mic night, she saw me and said, okay, what you're doing is actually improvising. Uh, you're, you're just doing it by yourself. It's not really stand up. You should go take classes. Here's where you go. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. And hey so that's guy, a, your improv is great, but you need more people. <laughs> yeah. And, and your standups not. So it's weird because <laughs> I would get up there. Up shit. Yeah, I would get up there and do a character and tell a story as that character. Mm -hmm. And so it very much was not your typical stand-up comedy, certainly no, not back yeah. in the day. That wasn't done very often. But I honestly thought that you could do, um, like I had done uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Uh, I had done um, uh, Biloxi Blues at that point out in Elgin. So, I mean, I had been acting uh -huh. uh, and doing improvisation to me was just another form of that, a different form of it. Gotcha. gotcha. So, um, and, and a guy I toured with at Second City, a guy named Scott Adsit, like at the time he was doing a, a Steppenwolf show as well. And, and Steve Carell, uh, I, was, I was understudying Steve Carell on main stage when he went to Wisdom Bridge, which is a theater right down on, on Howard. Mm -hmm. um, and he went over there to do two, three person farce. And, uh, and then when he got done with that, I was going to go over there and do that show for him. Uh, and, and so it, it, in my mind, it wasn't one or the other. It, it was all one thing. All Just, very interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Long ways to go to say that. Well, thanks for coming out. That was the show. Yeah. Son of a, oh, there was other stuff. <laughs> um, you, you so magically just have dropped a thousand fucking amazing names in this one tiny bit of a conversation. No, that was, that I didn't mean it. With the second city. Yeah. So it's like, cause I mean, I'm looking on your website and things like that. You've have done work with Steve Carell, Steve Colbert. Um, what was it like uh, hanging out with those folks when everybody was just kind of getting started? Assholes. Assholes. Just assholes. No, I'm um, sure probably in the best way, but you know, no, no they were, they killed people. Uh, there are bodies, Kevin. Um, you know, what's funny is everybody there at the time, and that, that really was like a little golden age in the nineties over there. Um, a lot of people came out of there who were just ultra talented. It was a, it was a really good time to have been there. Corral was, was very nice. Not that talkative. Uh, 
he seems the quiet type. I've seen very quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very much the quiet type. But when he got on stage, the deadliest human on stage I've ever seen. I could I, I mean, I, I, I was going there when Farley was still there. And when Farley entered the stage, got on the stage, you were like, oh, the, the room stopped. I mean, like breathing stopped because you didn't want to miss a second of what this insane person was going to do. He was that kinetic. Oh, Carell yeah. walks on stage and he doesn't have any of that energy but he controls, he comes out and you are glued to what he's going to do because he raises an eyebrow at the right moment and it slays. Oh. And he lays the groundwork for it so well every time. Uh, it was really, you never saw him working. And so I used to love watching him. I loved understudying his characters. It was the most fun I had on stage at Second City without a doubt was doing the stuff that he came up with. Um, Colbert, when I uh, first worked with Colbert, uh, there's some great stories with him. Um, there was a fencing mask backstage. Uh -huh. And so he was from a big family too. And so, uh, you know, and, and he's a smart guy and he's a fast guy. And mm -hmm. he was back then too, super bright. And so sure. we got along in, in that sort of brotherly sort of adversarial thing. And uh -huh. um, so <laughs> we had this, Backstage, you do the dumbest things. We would put the fencing mask on, take a scissors, and stab each other in the face mask <laughs> because it was the scariest thing in the world. And then we go, "Oh, let's switch, switch!" And we turn it around. And this is backstage. This wasn't for an audience. This no, is because we're messing of, around. And I love the fact that it's also in the middle of a show. Like there's shit yeah. going on on stage, and you're like, "Stab Absolutely. me in the face real fast! Stab me in the face!" Yeah, real do fast. it, do it. Um, I think there was a story you told me one time. I don't know if we can talk about this, but didn't you tell me one time you threatened to punch him in the face on stage? Oh, I was going to kill him. Yeah. I was going to full on kill him. He, um, my parents came to see the show and it was the first time they saw me on main stage. And it was with Amy Sedaris was in the cast, Steve Colbert, uh, Paul Danello, um, uh, uh, Fran Adams, Ruthie Rudnick. And I was in for Corral. This is uh, during one of those times. Mm -hmm. And so he, and it was the first time I was doing it and I had my parents come. I was very excited. Big and night, big night. Keep in mind, I'm still pretty young. I'm like maybe 22. Um, oh yeah, you and were so baby. And so I was one of the youngest guys hired at the time. Uh, like Belushi and Don uh, DePaulo was the two guys younger than me in the 40 years before I got hired, right? Mm -hmm. So I was hired really young. But he comes up to me backstage and he goes, hey, I understand you're, parents are in the audience yeah yeah they came I'm really excited okay great listen a little bit of a thing we do here um when somebody's parents come for the first time and this is just what we do um i in the middle of this one scene at the beginning of the second act i'm gonna call your mom a big fat whore in in this scene and um you know instead of the name i usually use in the scene i'm gonna say mrs rogers is just mm -hmm. a big fat whore so, um, you know, we're, we're just going to do that. I said, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> no, and, don't do that. And he goes, he goes, no, no, we do it for everybody. We got to do it. I go, here's the thing. If you say that about my mom, I'm going to come running out from the wings. I'm going to tackle you on stage and I'm going to beat the ever loving shit out of you. <laughs> and I was a, I'm a big size guy. Yeah, I'm I not, can imagine like you know, you're, you're already a husky he, dude, but at that age doing that work. Rail thin. And he was rail thin at that point. Uh, and so he's just like, yeah, no, you're not. You'll, you'll get fired. I said, oh, I don't give a fuck. If you say anything about my mom, I'm going to kill you. I'll take that hit. 
And he's like, okay, let's see. And so he's out on stage and it's the top of the second act and he's doing the scene and Amy Sedaris is out there like wondering what I'm doing because I am in the wing. He can absolutely see me. The audience on that side can kind of see me. Uh-huh. But I have taken off my costume for the next scene. I've laid it down next to me and I've gotten in a lineman stance <laughs> and I'm just staring at him. And he's looking back at me and he's kind of like, you oh. won't do it. And I had to look at death on my face. I was, I was 100% going to run out and tackle him on the stage. Oh, you have to at that point. I, oh, absolutely. And so he gets to the point, well, I'm neighbor, Mrs. Rogers. And he kind of turns a little bit and I am just, I am now down in a two-handed nose tackle stance and I am ready to kill. <laughs> beat, beat, beat. Is one of the nicest ladies we ever had the pleasure to meet. <laughs> oh man. And I slowly stand up and I slowly put my costume back on and I walk away from the wing. And it was, you know, but he had me. I absolutely That's... thought, oh, I'm gonna get fired. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm done. But, but I'm taking him with me. Best fucking story <laughs> ever. I mean, come on. That's that would be a thing where, like, if that happened, I'd say I'm not from here. Like I said, just moved here 12 years ago. When I got here and talking to getting in the community, somebody would have been like, did you hear about that time that dude tackled Steve Colbert at fucking Second City? Holy shit, that was yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's what you got to go work there, man. So, yeah, that's, I, I kind of want you to run into Colbert again. You should you need to get in touch with him and be like, dude, I'm gonna, just, I would love to, uh, yeah, if I ever get a chance to, to do his show, to that stand would be the, the story I would tell. Oh, you have to do Without that. a doubt. I have to say one of the most impressive things about you, Jeff, that I've, I've that since I've met you that I that you do is that you've taken this improv and this art form of this and the comedy side of of this wonderful art, and you've somehow been able to jam it in this corporate world and make a successful business out of corporate improv. And you've put together this you call it the playmaker mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into these jobs. How did you come about this? Was there one day somebody was like at a, at a business is like, hey, you do improv. Can you come do some stuff in my business for me? And then that kind of took off from there or like how did well, this world open up for you? Yeah, the, the um, so I've always believed in being a, a working actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that meant to me anywhere I can make money with my craft, i.e. my skill, not necessarily my art. Mm-hmm. And I always... Uh, delineated between the two, the the craft, okay. the skills that you bring to your art. That's what you know how to do. Um, and those skills are applicable in other areas, in, okay. a, in a lot of other areas, to be honest. So uh, when I'm doing my art, I'm doing it for art's sake and to, to you know, uh, express uh, something that I feel needs expressing or I want to express or something along those lines or in, in service to somebody else's art, mm-hmm. right? With my craft and skills, what I'm doing is looking to make a living. And so if I'm going to be doing something, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing it at the highest level for the most amount of money because I want to make a living at it. Second City had a corporate division, uh, which they were really trying to build up. And so me and a couple other guys, Rich Label, uh, Tom Purcell, uh, Charlie Hartsock, um, and I and uh, the guy in charge, who's now in charge of the Metropolis out in Arlington Heights, Joe Keefe, um, really tried to build up this uh, Second City Communications. And that's where I first got the idea that you could walk into these corporate environments and A, either teach them how to improvise so that they're better at what they do, or mm-hmm. B, have some fun in their corporate meetings so that these people in the seats who are the same people who come see 
a show at night are in the middle of the day, they're slogging through death by PowerPoint. Right. So it's more than possible to give them, you know, something to actually a respite from the, the pain of these presentations that they're sitting through. So um, I realized I could get paid pretty well for that. Mm-hmm. And then as I did more and more corporate shows, I learned more and more about business by paying attention to the speaches in between my stuff. You know, <laughs> I listened. Yeah, like on the job training. Like, it, like okay, so really let me learn some more. Yeah, I, and I got to hear from all these different companies about how they go about their business and how they go to market and how they market, you know, do marketing. And um, it it became both an education and uh, then these audience members would come up to me and go, thank you so much. You were the you saved us from the, you know, how awful this could have been. Cause they can be very fucking awful. Oh, Sitting through can. presentations like that are terrible. And that's the thing I've always loved about working with you. And that, that I love that you take uh, the, the stance of when you're working on these jobs, it's like, I, I also still need to have fun while I'm working. Cause otherwise I don't want to fuck at work anymore. Cause who does? Right. You know, yeah, it absolutely is. Play is a key foundational fundamental element for, for me going on stage. That's where, uh, the Playmaker Mindset came from. So the, the Playmaker Mindset is a book that I just wrote. Uh, it, it literally just went on Amazon on Monday. Oh, it's already been released because I was going to talk about that. It's, I was. It's... I just released it. Uh, it's a soft release. We're going to do the hard launch in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, and I just very quickly, uh, all of the proceeds from the pre-release are going towards um, a 501c3 called Community Makery, uh, which... Uh, highlights the Howard Street area of Rogers Park. There's a school there that they are um, trying to introduce uh, STEAM and uh, the arts to underprivileged kids, fifth grade through senior year. And so um, they're a great organization. I started working with them through Players Workshop uh, and I'm gonna be funneling all of the proceeds, all the profits from the pre-sales of the book are going to go towards that, which that's uh, amazing. So, uh, yeah. well, real fast, while we're talking about that, how long does that run, and where can people go? So that'll that? be for the next uh, th- until uh, probably mid June. Okay, uh, and they can go on Amazon and look up uh, the Playmaker Mindset. Okay, great. I think that's wonderful that you're doing that as well too. Yeah. So, is this book a, a breakdown of your style uh, of the Playmaker idea, or what, what is how's what's the so? It's of the a book? little bit of that. It's a little. It's a business fable that. Um, concentrates on building teams and innovating uh, by utilizing improvisation and design thinking. Uh, so design thinking is the language of innovation. It, mm-hmm. you know, typically engineers use design thinking to build something or, or to create something. Um, but what they did is they, they Stanford University and Columbia University and a lot of entrepreneurial uh, universities now that have entrepreneur programs figured out they codified a process for innovation Okay. And so I got certified in that process to facilitate that in business. And what I did, it's a little thick to get into, uh, you know, it, it, it's trying to be for everybody. Uh-huh. What I did is I married improv exercises to it to make it easier Okay. Uh, so that people would be able to understand it. They'd be able to play. The big thing is when you're in a play mindset, you immediately lower the stakes and you raise your game. Mm-hmm. You're willing to learn from things that you do wrong. You're you're not as stressed. When you're not stressed, you have a much more wide, uh, a wider field of vision. You're able to see and utilize your knowledge and your experience. So w- 
if you can convince people, okay, we're going to play, we're going to play with this a little bit immediately. They're like, well, okay, I'll play. Yeah, right. I can play. Sure. Right. It's if not, there's it's no, not working. So that's yeah. There, and there's no pressure on me. I'll play. It's like, okay, great. So we're going to try some stuff. Some of that stuff you're going to fail at. And that's totally cool because we're just playing. So now they're able to pull from all of these different places and put ideas together that are revolutionary instead of evolutionary. And you've got a, a lot of excitement and engagement uh, around those concepts that are bubbling up. And then you get to a point where you can pick the best ideas instead of going with just the one idea that you were forced to come up with because the boss said, we're going to brainstorm right now. Right. This is what we're right. doing. And you give me the best fucking idea. Yeah. Otherwise we're staying here all night. Yeah. And, and that's, that is really what the playmaker mindset is about. It's a, it takes the, this character of Jerry Newcomb through the process of learning these exercises at, uh, at, a, at an improv school um, and teaches him how to do this. He brings his team in, they learn how to do this and they're able to complete a project in record time because they had so many good ideas um, that they were able to accomplish the task that they were you know, set to do. Because it's a narrative story, it, it allows you to just experience it through Jerry's eyes mm -hmm. and allows you to take it all in and then go back and try it. Um, at the end of the book, there's actually a, there's a, uh, a link for a bunch of freebies that you can uh, go and get that uh, I've offered on my website that give you how to play the games, how to do the brainstorming session. Um, there's, there's another ebook and there's some other stuff around how to do this and really succeed at it because I want people to be successful with it and enjoy it at the same time. And that's the key is to enjoy it because that's going to make you more successful every time. That's right. that's pretty great. That's so uh, that's now available on Amazon for early release. You said, yeah. Um, and you're launching hard, hard launch mid June. You said be about mid June. Yeah. So you and got where, a couple of weeks to grab it up and where will that still be available on Amazon or like, well, still on Amazon, the, the, uh, the cost will go up at that point because mm -hmm. it's the, it's the hard launch. So just you know, grab it now and then everybody wins, you know, because I get to give that money to uh, uh, Nini Kelso Grant over at uh, Community Makery and, uh, um, and hopefully uh, people can, can learn a different way of brainstorming that is, uh, you know, that'll help them out. You are an improv actor. You have studied improv for years. You're a host, you're an MC, you have your corporate job, you're a writer. And now not too long before the pandemic hit, you and uh, two of the three, uh, two other people, I believe, have yeah. taken on reopening Players Workshop, which is if I'm, the oldest, if I'm not mistaken, the oldest improv school in yeah. Chicago and kind of the birthplace of improv as we know it today. Correct. Well, yes and no. Um, so uh, Players Workshop was opened in 1970, and it was originally known as Players Workshop of Second City. Mm -hmm. So. Josephine Forsberg uh, should really be on the Mount Rushmore of people who launched improv into what it is. Okay. Uh, she was a part of the original company at Second City. She became an acolyte and uh, assistant teacher to a woman by the name of Viola Spolin, who, if uh, you know anything about improv, know that she wrote, kind of wrote the book, uh, literally, hmm. on utilizing improvisation uh, for theater. She was the one, her son helped start Second City, Paul Sills. Okay. And she came in and taught all of these actors how to improvise the rules of them, of these games and exercises. 
but she was only there from like 1959 to like 1964 ish. So just the first couple of years of okay. Second City. Josephine Forsberg was not only an actress in the show, she also learned these games and became the default teacher of these games and exercises for Second City for the next six years. Wow. So she's really the one who kept this whole thing going and then codified them into a curriculum where you start at A, you end at Z, and by the time you get to Z, you are a full-fledged improviser able to walk on any stage in the world and improvise with anybody else. Wow. So she did that for six years, and then what happened was these actors who were working at Second City started bringing other actors, you know, their friends who didn't work there, but they're like, you got to learn this improv stuff. This right. is hey, amazing. Come check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course, improv was, has been used in other acting tech, Meisner, uh, Stanislavski, all of them used some element of improvisation in their teachings and, 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 you know, and molded it as mm -hmm. part of their process as well. Right. They didn't utilize it as an, an onstage technique. And so when all of these people started showing up for classes, uh, she went to the executive producer, Bernie Solins and said, listen, I'd like to spin this off and do this, you know, do you, how about we do this thing as Second City's, you know, uh, classes? And, and he's like, no, no, <laughs> I don't think so. No, you're, that's not what we want to do. We're in theater. We do theater. Let's we're, just do right. it. We're not a school. So she said, that's exactly right. And she said, would you mind if I did that? And so, nah, go ahead. Do what you want to do. It's never going to go anywhere. I was about to say, that'll never take off. <laughs> exactly. She started Players Workshop of Second City, which was an independent school of improvisation, the first one in the country, that was not attached to a theater, that didn't have an end goal of you getting onto a stage, mm -hmm. and where anybody could come and take those classes. And over the next 20 years, 30 years, it anybody did, including... Folks like Bill Murray, Shelley Long, George mm -hmm. Wendt, Harold Ramis, uh, Matt Walsh, Amy Sedaris, uh, I mean, uh, Bonnie Hunt, um, Robert wow. Townsend. I, I mean, uh, it's a laundry list of people, you know, celebrities who came through there, but didn't go to Second City necessarily. They would mm -hmm. go off and do other things as well. And then you also had advertising execs, uh, attorneys, salespeople, moms, you know, uh, it was... It became a place to come and learn how to be confident in yourself in uh, in the moment and to do it in a way that allowed you to play and fail and uh, just learn in that sort of way. You felt great about it and you got out of it and you thought, yeah, this yeah. is this is what I was kind of missing. I, I, it, it became life lessons that you learned through these exercises. Improv has informed every level of performance in Chicago from Steppenwolf, uh, you know, to Stage Left, to Second City, to Goodman. Yeah, I'll agree with that for sure. It, it is it is intrinsic to our, that, that's the reason it thrived here, mm -hmm. is because something about that and this city go together. And so it, it, it should not be about, I want to become an improviser. It's, that's another tool I need to have in my belt. Right. Uh, for actors, for people who are not performers, that's another tool I need to have in my human belt. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean a belt made of a human, but uh, well... it, it, it could be. I'm not going to, I don't judge. And that was one of the reasons I restarted Players Workshop. So it closed in about 2005. Mm -hmm. um, and when I looked around and people would ask me, where can I take classes? I didn't know where to send them. 
And so it's sort of like, well, where do I send them? If Second City is improv of the sketch, IO is improv of the, the Herald, where is just improv for life? And it wasn't around. And so that's, I went back to Joe and I said, I want to reopen it because I don't have anywhere to send people. Mm -hmm. She was very excited about this. This is obviously before she passed. And, um, you know, because of the recession and everything else, it put like a five-year pause on the plan. But thankfully, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was able to reopen it. And uh, it, it, was, it was very cool. So far, it's going okay. The pandemic hit, we got virtual, so... I love, love, love the fact that you've brought this back and that it's here, especially knowing its history and, and what it meant to so many people, uh, and you included. Um, if people are interested in taking classes, what type of classes do you offer and where can they go? So we're still online, still virtual. Uh, we probably won't be back to in-person classes until later in the summer. We're mm -hmm. going to see how this goes. Uh, but go to playersworkshoponline.com. We actually have a free uh, Taste of Improv workshop coming up on June 2nd. Ooh. So it's a it's an hour and a half. It just kind of runs through a little bit of what improv is all about. Um, but come June 2nd, sign up, Players Workshop Online. There's a little button that says free workshop. Just click that. Doesn't cost anything. Free is always great. You can get a taste of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, I like that too, because I mean, you don't want to fucking go all in on some classes if you're not sure if it's something you want to do. And that, cause it's that could exactly. be expensive, you know? Um, and it's just nice to see what you offer. So that's great. Go check that shit out. Um, if people wanted to find you personally, Jeff Rogers and, um, and follow you, whether it's if they're looking for corporate work or find the book, like give us all your stuff so people can find your face. So uh, yeah, the playmaker mindset on sale on Amazon, go get that download it. 99 cents. You can't beat that deal. Uh, in the back of the book, there's a, there's a link um to uh i think it's uh, the playmakermindset.com slash improv playbook uh and there's a bunch more freebies that you can get as well uh all of that money goes to uh, a great great uh, organization community makery based here in the north side of chicago in rogers park uh if they want to check my stuff out uh as an actor uh jeffreytrogers.com um as a uh a, a corporate host meetjeffrogers.com uh, as a speaker, jeffrogersunlimited.com. I think you're sensing the theme of kind oh, of how I got my URL. Jeff Rogers? Is that what it is? <laughs> I took one branding class. I was like, I, here's what I got out of it. Just Correct. use your name. All right? Just use your, Just your freaking name. Um, go find Jeff Rogers. Just Google Jeff Rogers Chicago basically yeah. at this point probably and you'll find all of this You stuff. can't miss um, me. Yeah. yeah, you can't miss him. And you don't want to. That's the thing. It's like, uh, yeah, like you... Uh, I'm always impressed whether it's just hanging out and having a drink and just bullshitting or watching you work. I've always been impressed with the way you, way you handle everything on stage. Like you are a grounding energy that always really brings what you say you're bringing, which is that fun side back to presentation and hosting and things like that, which is always fun. Again, you made me want to give you a whole bunch of money and I didn't know who you were and I don't have a whole bunch of money. So I, <laughs> I find that very impressive. Um, Jeff, we have hit a part of the show. Uh, it's at the end that I call Same Three Questions. Same Three Questions. And these are three questions that I ask all of my guests. It's the exact same three questions. That's why I call it Same Three Questions. It's good. Uh, just so it's I, good. Yeah, and that's the right branding. You yeah, know, I, that's I what it's it, about. You know? uh, so uh, first question, Jeff Rogers, if you had one superpower, which would it be and why? Healing. Healing. Oh, yeah. Nice. Uh, That's a great because, one. Uh, yeah, I think if people aren't in pain, they're able to do a lot more. 
I love it. And I think that's wonderful. And I will bestow you that power. Um, Sweet. This is a great job. Holy shit. I know, right? I know. (laughs) What you didn't know is this is a different dimension. Question number two, if after you died and you were reincarnated as a sandwich, which sandwich would that be? Uh, Dagwood. Dagwood. Oh, what's on your, because you're actually the second person to bring up Dagwood sandwich. And I was saying the other day, I was like, I haven't heard of Dagwood in, in decades because you know, I just don't read blonde anymore. Cause I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but I don't know. Yeah. What's on your Dagwood. Um, it's, uh, so my dad used to make a, what he called a, a garbage sandwich, but mm-hmm. it was basically a Dagwood and it was everything that's in the fridge. Oh, just so whatever is in the fridge goes on the sandwich at the time. It, whatever cold cuts cheese uh spread mm-hmm. uh if you put a, a, a <laughs> there used to be a pineapple cheese spread do you have you ever heard of that god no and i'm so yeah. glad you would put that on one bread one piece of bread you'd put a bunch of meat and stuff maybe you'd put another slice of bread you'd put some liverwurst on that put a bunch of other stuff <laughs> pineapple cheese spread is the grossest thing i've ever fucking heard I'd rather, it was, it's I, so good i don't oh, know why sounds, we grew up with it so you're a big old dagwood sandwich with yeah. pineapple cheese spread on top that's disgusting um and final question hey jeff blue or green Ooh, Ooh i am so sorry the answer <sighs> is green it'll always be the opposite interesting green. Jeff, thank you so much for fucking uh, hanging out with me. It's great to see you. Uh, it's been, like I said, it's been over yeah. a year now. So it's nice great to, to see actually you. see you. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And actually get to chat and not just be fucking social media shit. Please, everyone, go check out uh, everything that Jeff does because everything Jeff does is pretty fucking great. So you should see it. Get that book. Help support everybody here in town. Um, go sign up for some classes. June 2nd was the free. June thing. 2nd. Yeah, free class. Check that out. It's free. It says the button on the button. Click the button. It says free. Click the button. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for your time, man. I really do appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Good to see you, Kevin. Go check out Jeff on all of his social media. Be sure to get his book, The Playmaker Mindset on Amazon and go take some classes over at the Players Workshop. Go learn some improv. Well, that about does it for this episode. As always, please go rate and review our show so we can get the word out and get some more audience up in this motherfucker. And as always, a big thank you to my dear friend, Mr. Jason Moody, for our kick-ass theme song, and my dear friend, Corbett Pascoe, for our three-question stinger. Be sure to join us next time when we sit down with a new guest and ask them that burning question. Who the fuck are you? Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.